0: Before Gareth comes up to share with us, uh, I'd love to read our passage for this evening. Um, And our passage from this evening comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verses 20 through to 28, if you want to grab your Bibles and follow along. But the words will also be up on the screen. So beginning in verse 20. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. and when he was given, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord." Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So let's pray before Gareth comes to share with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to your word today, Lord, and, and still hear you speak to us. Lord, as Gareth comes to share with us this evening, Lord, would you speak through him, Lord? Would, would your words be heard, Lord, in this place? And, and Lord, would you be glorified? So Lord, we lift you up, we glorify you, Lord, and we thank you for all um, that you've done, Lord, and for who you are. And Lord, again, we pray for Gareth as he comes. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, guys, who were leading us in worship. Um, youth-ish band, I think I it's think pretty fair to say. Um, Some were off on half-term holidays and stuff, so we, we had to pull a few extras in tonight, so thank you, everybody who stepped in. Um, to make that happen. Um, can I welcome you again? It's great to have you along tonight at church. And if you are here for the first time or you haven't been for a while and you're back, um, or, or just you've had a really bad week, a really hard week, a really heavy week, and it's taken a lot for you to think, I'm going to walk into a room full of people tonight. Um, and that's been a bit unsettling, maybe a bit scary even. Um, can, I, can I thank you for being brave and doing that? Uh, I'm really delighted that you're here. I'm really delighted that you've you've taken that step of faith and come amongst us tonight. And uh, I, I believe firmly that God has something for you as we worship, as we pray, and now as we come to look at this Bible passage as well. Um, I, I'm going to pray again. It's not because Andrew didn't do a good job. He's, he's great at prayer, isn't he? I think so. I think so. This is more for me um, because my week has been all over the place. Uh, and there's a lot of complications going on in our family at the minute, uh, and maybe that's your story as well. Maybe you've got family members in the hospital or who are, who are sick at the minute. Maybe um, relationships are strained. Maybe there's financial problems. Maybe you have questions or doubts in your faith. Maybe there's problems in work. Maybe you sit here tonight, and it's one thing smiling, lifting your hands, and singing, and it's another thing stepping out those doors into real life where it actually is quite hard. Um, I'm living that as well. So I want to pray um, and just acknowledge that stuff. So let's pray. Let's be still. God, you are here. We love your presence. We welcome your spirit. You are here. We thank you that it's safe to, to gather in this place because we know there are parts of the world in Israel and Gaza In the Congo, in Ukraine, where it's not safe. God, come and minister to people who are living in fear tonight. God, we have the strength to walk into this building, to come here, to be brought here. And yet we recognize others because of age or illness are not able to leave their hospital, leave their house. Come, Lord, and minister to them tonight. Father, we, st- we, we, we come into this place surrounded by faces that are smiling, hopefully faces that are welcoming, hopefully conversations that have been had And yet we recognize that we live in a world where there is a a pandemic of loneliness. Lord, come by your Spirit and draw close to those people who no one has spoken to this day. And tonight, Lord, for us, with so much to give thanks for, but also, if we're honest, pain and struggles and uncertainties. Come, Holy Spirit. Before a word is said, before a word is preached, begin to, to minister to your people, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, the passage that Andrew read tonight, have you heard it before? Have some of you heard it before? Normally we, we read that when we come to communion, but we thought we'd read it a little bit earlier tonight and, and then think about some of those words that are, that are in it. And we're going to jump about a little bit and tell some stories and, and do some stuff and hopefully understand a little bit more about what communion is before we come to take it. So, Here's my question, first of all. I want to get you talking as well because you all look a bit sluggish tonight. Normally I tell you you're gorgeous. You all look a bit tired. Are you tired tonight? Yeah. You weary? Yeah, I am. Okay. We're going to get you talking to each other. What I want you to do is to turn to the person beside you and tell them what your favorite food is. What's your favorite meal that you have had? What's your favorite meal? Come on. We don't want the recipes, we just want the, the titles, okay. Okay, okay, shout some out from down here. What were some of the meals that were shared over this side? Chicken. Pardon? Chicken. Lemon chicken, give me another one. Lasagna. Lasagna. Down the back? Ah. Oh. middle section. Banana split. Banana split straight to the desserts, love it. Give me another one from the middle section. Chowder, oh, it's controversial. It's controversial. Over this sides, go for it, shout one out. Salmon, Salmon. oh, okay, 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 yeah, yeah. Down the back section, give me a meal. Indian. Indian, just the, everything on the menu, Gary. It's all there. <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, do you know what I love? I love a, like a really big, dirty burger. You're know the kind of burger where you're likely to get spillage down your t shirt or shirt. I love a really good, dirty burger. I love steak. I love lasagna. I love all those things as well. Um, what's your favorite communion meal? What are you talking about, guys? Surely we just get right bean and a bit of bread. <laughs> it's not much crack. What's your favorite communion meal? Or let me rephrase the question. Have you got a memory of a time you took communion that felt really significant? Some of you maybe have never taken communion before. There's an opportunity to tonight. I remember my first time taking communion. I was 16. I was in my home church of Market Hill Presbyterian Church. I'd done a few classes. Uh, There's a a little course you have to go through uh, with the minister there at the time. And then I was going to take communion for the very first time as a new communicant member of the church, a brand new member of the church with my mates. And my mom said to me walking into the church, the bread's always very dry. Make sure you don't choke on it. (laughs) And the whole time, Then leading up to, I wasn't thinking about the presence of Jesus. I was thinking, don't choke, don't choke, don't choke, don't choke. I managed to get it down. I can't remember anything spiritual about it at all. All I know is I didn't choke on the communion bread that first Sunday taking communion as a 16-year-old. I remember the first time leading a communion service in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Ministers are the ones that have to do this, this meal, I'm not really sure why that is, if I'm honest. Don't tell anybody that, um, but, but we do. And the first time I got to lead it was in my first church in Balamani, which is where I was before I came here. And I hadn't practiced. I just assumed it was bread and juice on the table. But in North Antrim, they do things differently. Because when I went across to the table, these pretty white cloths seem to be standardized in different Presbyterian churches and picked it off. We've got bread, just what you would expect. They had shortbread. Shortbread, like literal shortbread. And I picked it up and I said, this is the body of Christ snapped for you. And I giggled.
0: There
1: we go. I've I, I celebrated communion Around a dinner table with my friends over a full meal. Back in the day, uh, when Jesus first started this, it was a full meal. It's moved to little glasses of cheese, little bits of bread, mostly because we're doing it with so many people on a Sunday morning with 500 tonight, 100, 150 maybe, I'm not sure. Um, I've celebrated communion in a field at Greenbelt, which is a Christian creative arts festival over in England, Uh, We went there in a previous church I worked in with a bunch of our young people, and we sat with about 5,000 people in a field, and there was cups of juice and and gummy sweets because they couldn't get bread for enough people, and we celebrated communion together um, in the field there. Um, Also, a really interesting story. This is probably controversial and get me in trouble. Uh, It's not my story, so I can share it. Bear Grylls, any fans of Bear Grylls? I'm a huge Bear Grylls fan. Um, Bear Grylls was at one stage the youngest person ever, youngest Brit ever to climb Everest, to summit Mount Everest, which is kind of cool. And he's a Christian, which is also kind of cool. And he tells the story in his book of being at base camp at Everest and there was people there from all over the world. There was a bunch of other Christians there from around the world. And the night before he was beginning to make his ascent, he said, can we celebrate communion together? And so with these people from all around the world, Bear grills, read a passage of scripture uh, and read a psalm and then celebrated communion with the different people at base camp. Now, he did use Glenfiddich whiskey and pita bread, but that's a different story. But I thought it was a really cool place to celebrate communion. It was great. This thing that we do called communion, it's got loads of different names. If you're here in Orangefield, we tend to call it communion. But sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. Have you heard that? Sometimes it's called the breaking of bread. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Sometimes it's called, well, we'll get on to that. What I want to do tonight is to look at some of the names that this meal gets called in different parts of the Christian church and to think what we learn from the emphasis on that name. Don't know if you've ever done that before. It might be interesting. If you fall asleep, I'll not be offended, it's okay. Um, But try and stay off your phones. Excuse me. The one we want to start with is the one that actually if you were a Bible opener, Tonight, Anybody open their Bibles physically tonight, not just cheat and watch the screen, or maybe you turned your phone on, and maybe you saw that? Did anybody actually open a physical Bible? One, two, two people, three, three people, wonderful. And what you will have seen in the title above the text, probably above verse 17, it says the Lord's Supper, or correcting abuses around the Lord's Supper. It's one of the first names that this meal was given. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. And it's bringing us back into the Gospels when Jesus sat down. You can read about it in Luke 22. You can read about it in Matthew, Mark, and John as well. But you can read about it in Luke 22 where Jesus sits down with his friends the night before he dies and he takes a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me and then he takes the the cup of wine and he says this cup is the new covenant sealed by my blood do this in remembrance of me do this in remembrance of me do this and remember me remember what about jesus that's my question what does he want us to remember when we come to this table when we take the little bits of bread and we take the little cups of juice, what is he asking us to remember? If you've been doing this for a while, if you've been around church for a bit, you're going to go, that's the easy, Gareth. It's the cross. He wants us to remember the cross. Yes? You're scared to answer but y- yes? Okay? Here's a question for you When did Jesus celebrate the meal? When did he celebrate the meal? That he, he was betrayed. Had he been crucified yet? How do you remember something that hasn't happened? I'm being facetious. But I think he wants us to think about more than just that. You see, Jesus on that night that he was betrayed, as Chris said, he... Uh, It was the Passover festival. Everybody who was Jewish had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival, which was this meal that involved bread and wine and bitter herbs and lamb and all of those things. And Jesus said, get a room for us that we may celebrate this Passover meal. It was a 1,400-year-old tradition. It went back over a 1,000 years to when the Jews were slaves in Egypt and they'd been slaves for 400 years, and they cried out to God, God, help us, save us, please. And God raised up a rescuer, a deliverer called Moses. Was he perfect? No, but guess what? The next rescuer and deliverer will be perfect. He's called Jesus. But Moses, the rescuer, the deliverer came, and and there was all these plagues that happened, and the, the final plague, the angel of death, passed over the houses, and anybody who hadn't put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their house, um, their, their firstborn was killed that night. Uh, and, every, and then the next day, all of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, who had been slaves for 400 years, Pharaoh said, go, go, go. And God led them. He rescued them from slavery and he led them out of Egypt into the promised land, and there's a whole story about it you can read in the book of Exodus. It's a wonderful story. But ever since then, every year, at that same time, at Passover, Jews were told, I want you to come together around a table like this, and the youngest person at the table asks the oldest person at the table, why do we do this? And the oldest person at the table tells the story because we want everyone to remember that even in the most difficult, darkest circumstances in life, God is faithful and he rescued us. He's a rescuing God. He's a faithful God. So for 1,400 years, this is what happened. And the Jews thought this was the main event. And then Jesus, the night before he dies, the night he's betrayed, Brings his friends around this table. And all the stuff's there for the Passover meal. And he picks up the flat bread that's there for the Passover meal. And he takes it and he breaks it in half. And he says, Do you know what? Next time you do this, remember it's about me. It's about me. Because that story from 1400 years ago, when God was faithful and he rescued, that was pointing to what I'm about to do on the cross. I'm about to rescue you from slavery to sin. I'm about to do something that leads you into the promised land of a new heavens and a new earth and a new relationship with God. Yes, of course, this meal is about the cross. But it's about the past, recognizing that for for over a thousand years, God has shown us that he is faithful that he is a prayer-answering God, that he is a rescuing God, that he is a graceful God. And it's not just about the past, it was about the present, Jesus was saying. It's about my life and my, my teaching and my miracles and all of who I am. And it's about the cross that I'm about to go to and it's about the resurrection. It's about the past and it's about the present and it's about the future. Because after I ascend into heaven, Jesus says, I will come back. And I will come back next time as judge. And I will separate those who know me from those who don't know me. And those who don't know me will go to destruction. But those who do know me will be part of my eternal kingdom. This communion meal is about past, is about present, is about future. The Jews thought it was only about the past. And Jesus sat at the table and said, You know what? This is my supper. This is about me. I want you to remember all of me, all of who I am, past, present, and future. Is that kind of cool? Yeah, I think so. I think so. We don't often call this the Lord's Supper, though, do we? What do we call it? Communion, yeah. It's okay to talk back. i prefer you didn't talk to each other, but you can talk to me at any point, it's okay. Um, we, we call this communion. We call this Communion. Did you know? It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. It has its root in the same word, fellowship. It's cool. What it's saying is that, that at this meal, we are to have fellowship with Jesus. What it's saying is that at this table when we celebrate this meal, the spirit of Jesus is present that it's not just a ritual we go through, a remembering exercise, but it's, it's, a, it's a communion with the Spirit of Jesus. It is fellowship with Jesus. He is literally here in this moment as we celebrate this meal together. It's hard to get your head around, isn't it? It's hard to get your head around. And, and yet, it, it's always been the theology. Do you remember... Like we get stuck here in Orangefield on, on the idea that isn't God everywhere all of the time? So then if He is everywhere all of the time, then of course He's here, so why is He more here than? Do you know what I mean? We, we keep coming back to that question. Do you know what I mean? And yet, think about it. Think about the consistent story of the Bible. When God gave the instructions for the tabernacle or the temple was God omnipresent at that point? Was he everywhere all of the time? Was there there any part of the earth that God wasn't in? Any part of the universe that God wasn't in when there was a temple on earth? No, he was everywhere. He was omnipresent. He was everywhere all of the time. And, And yet he said to his people, in the temple, behind the curtain, in the holy of holies, my presence will dwell. Heaven will touch earth. I I, I'm everywhere all of the time, but, but somehow I'm, I'm more here in a way that if you walk in in an unworthy manner, you will be struck and down dead. You cannot stand because the, the, the intensity of my holiness, my presence will be so strong in that place. And there's all these elaborate instructions of how the priest was to, to enter into the Holy of Holies only once a year to offer sacrifice. God was everywhere but he was more behind that curtain in the temple. And then fast forward in the story, when Jesus was walking about on earth, was God omnipresent? Was he everywhere all of the time? Yeah, of course he was. That's what we believe as Christians, that God's presence, God's omnipresence fills every part of creation. And yet when Jesus walked on earth, you could reach out and touch him physically. He breathed on his disciples. They felt his breath on their faces. He touched the eyes of the blind man. He raised up the guy who was disabled. Was God everywhere all of the time? Of course he was, but he was somehow more there in that moment. Think about the day of Pentecost when the disciples gathered in the upper room and they were praying, and they were waiting. Was God everywhere, all of the time? Yeah, of course he was. But something happened in that room, when the Holy Spirit came, when the sound, like the rushing of a violent wind, when tongues of flame came and rested on each believer, God was more present in that space in that moment. Right throughout the story of the Bible, particularly we see it in the book of Acts, God is omnipresent all of the time. He is no part of creation. His his presence does not fill, but there are moments we use crude language like he showed up. How dare we be so crude? But he does with an intensity and a holiness and a love that that feels tangible and real in that moment. He is everywhere all of the time, but there are moments when he feels more than I've experienced it in worship, I can stand and sing and worship, knowing that God is here in this space, but there are moments when the presence of God falls and I find myself trembling, I find myself weeping, I find myself so overcome by the holiness and the presence of God in that moment. I've been in my living room just praying, turning off Netflix, praying, talking to God. He's everywhere all of the time, but but occasionally, not always, but occasionally, there's a sense of his presence falling in our little living room. And I find myself on my knees, sometimes flat on my face, praying. Walking through Orangefield Park, not every morning, almost every morning, talking to God, praying. God's everywhere all of the time. But there are moments when the sense of his presence is so strong that I find myself on the, my knees on the football pitch in Orangefield Park, looking up at the stars because the sense of God's presence, felt presence in that moment is so tangible it can be tasted. And you guys know what I'm talking about because at Summer Madness this year on Monday night, something happened in worship that the Holy Spirit fell upon you and touched loads of you, filled you with his spirit and you had an encounter with God in that moment that was tangible. A number of you were praying for each other, tearful, encouraging each other. And as a church, we want to celebrate that. That is class. That is so cool. This meal is about communion with the living God. Every bit as much as Jesus was present in that room when they celebrated the first communion meal, his spirit is present. Pay attention to the presence of God. Learn to recognize the presence of God when you come to this table. Anticipate him. Long for him. Hunger for him. He is here. It's about fellowship with God. It's also about fellowship with each other. There's a horizontal element to it as well. I played rugby in school when I was 17, lower sixth. What's that there in in new school language? Year what, 13? 13, year? 13, I can't get my head around it still. Um, I was starting to break on to the first 15, playing for them sometimes, but not every time. But you know what, I, like, I felt dead awkward about it because it, it felt like there was a few cliques in the rugby team. And when I broke into the squad, I, I always felt like I was a little bit on the fringe of it. I always felt a little bit left out. I always felt like there was the good enoughs and the not good enoughs. Do you get that in school? Do you get that in church? I felt like that when I was playing rugby. This story that Andrew read for us about the, the Corinthian church, they were having the same problem. There was cliques in the Corinthian church around race and around economic status and what was happening was, was some people who were really rich, who were the in crowd, were turning up early because they didn't have to work. They were busting out the the, the, short, well, not the Chardonnay, but the, the Merlot, whatever. Um, they were busting out the fine food. They were eating. They were drinking. By the time the working class arrived, because they were working, the food was almost all gone. The, the wine was almost all drunk. Everybody was, was fat. Everybody was slightly drunk. And there was nothing left to share. And Paul says to them, this is horrendous. This isn't communion. There's broken fellowship with each other. There's cliques in the church. He says, you've got all the right bits and pieces on the table to do a communion meal. But because of the broken fellowship with each other, the broken relationships, it's not communion. Because God's not here. He doesn't want to be part of that. Interesting. It's interesting. You've got all the right bits, but because of broken fellowship, it's not communion. And that's why Paul says each person should examine themselves. Do you have sin you need to confess before you come to this table? Have you a broken relationship with somebody in this church you need to say sorry to before you come to this table? he goes on to say you shouldn't eat the bread or drink the wine in an unworthy manner that's what he's talking about don't do it if you've fallen out with somebody in church go say sorry to them take communion later don't do it in an unworthy way okay those two were longer really quickly uh, on these ones because they're the shorter little bits the breaking of bread is that a brethren one it is, yes, bread. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I feel nervous now. I'm on sacred ground talking about the breaking of bread. Um, there's a brilliant story. There's a brilliant story in, in Luke 24. Jesus has died on the cross, and then he has been resurrected on that first Easter Sunday morning. And we, we, we find this story happening. on It's called the Road to a Mess. There's two of his followers, two of his crew, who are like, oh, the last three years have been wasted. We've given our lives for this guy, and now he's dead. They hadn't got the memo that he was resurrected. They'd missed the Easter Sunday morning good stuff. Um, so they were walking home. They were walking back. They rode to a mess. Do you know where it went to? There you go, just checking. That's it. It wasn't a trick question. It was just, yeah. Um, they were walking back to a mess, and Jesus shows up beside them, like, imagine, he must have felt so naughty. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's standing there beside them, and going, what's wrong? Oh, haven't you heard? No, what? And like, he knows. And he walks with them all day, talking to them about what had happened. And inside, he must have been just, they're gonna love this. And they don't recognize him. And then they come to a little inn, a guest house, and the two friends say, won't you stay with us for the night? Hospitality's a big deal. And they sat down at the table, and um, technically Jesus was their guest, but he took over. Why? Because it's his supper. And he picks up a piece of bread, and he gives thanks, and he broke the bread. Let me show you what he did. He picked up a piece of bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke the bread. And in that moment of breaking the bread, they recognized who he was. They recognized who he was. There were no knives back then. Didn't slice it up really nicely. He had to take it and literally rip it. And in that moment of breaking the bread... They recognized who he was. John Mark Comer, who's a, a real favorite of mine, many of you have read his books, listened to his podcasts. Um, he, he says something really interesting. He says, all life comes through sacrifice. All life comes through sacrifice. You are here today because something died so you can eat it. Your steak, your lasagna. You see, even you vegetarians, the plant had to die before you ate it. Sorry to burst your bubble. Everything, all life comes through sacrifice. How much more spiritual life? How much more spiritual life? And that's why when we come to this table, the brethren guys have it right when they say the breaking of bread, that when we take the piece of bread, when we break it in half, we remember the body of Jesus being beaten We take the bread and we break it. We remember his body being whipped and flogged and scourged. We take the bread and we break it and we remember that that his, his hands, his wrists were pierced with nails. His body was broken for you. He became the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world for you. There was a physical sacrifice in one part of the triune God, as his body was broken. And as we break the bread, we remember that that's how much God loves you. We, we physically break the bread. Don't ever doubt that God loves you. Look what he went through for you. Some parts of the church call it the Eucharist. Have you heard of that? Getting a bit more sacramental now, a bit more Anglican. They call it the Eucharist. And the Eucharist—it sounds like a really fancy word, doesn't it? It's just a really, really simple Greek term that means thank you, means thanksgiving. That's all it is. And what's interesting is in all four Gospels, when this communion meal, this breaking of bread meal, is talked about, and in Paul's writings as well, it's described as a thanksgiving meal. Jesus gave thanks as he broke the bread every single time. It's a thanksgiving meal. Sometimes in our house, not every time, but sometimes around the dinner table, Lily, our youngest, will say, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for? And we all have to go around and list something, and then she'll change the question slightly, and the food's getting cold, we're all getting grumpy. Um, but what are you thankful for today? And we start to name the things we're thankful, thankful for. Because gratitude as a posture of our lives changes something within us. We live in a world that's about grasping and grabbing and climbing and pushing to the front. We live in a world that's about consumerism. We live in a world that's about feeling entitled. That's mine, I deserve that. And yet a posture of gratitude brings us back to the truth of the universe that all good gifts, everything, comes from our Father in heaven. That's what James tells us. That everything good in our lives is a gift from God. It's my money. No, it's not. He gave it to you. It's my family. It's my health. No, it's not. He gave it to you. I worked hard for that. He only worked hard for it because he gave you the ability to work hard. Everything is a gift from God. Everything deserves a thank you. All the good stuff deserves a thank you. And when we come to this table, it's saying, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for friendship with you. Thank you that I have a place in your story, in your family. Thank you that your purposes are at work within me. Thank you that you're telling your story through me. Thank you that I have a place in your forever kingdom. I could riff on this all night. It's a thank you meal. Come with thanksgiving to this table. Come with Thanksgiving to this table. Finally, finally. Some people, not me, but some people call it the Mass. Our Catholic brothers and sisters call this meal the mass. They have a slightly different theology around it. It's different from what we believe. Um, What I would say is it's closer to what we believe than it was 400 years ago. But it's still different from what we believe. And I'm not here to talk about the differences in theology between a Reformed Protestant and a Roman Catholic and what we believe about, about this meal that's not what I want to talk about tonight. I simply want to give you the name, the Mass. It comes from the Latin word missia, which literally means sent. It's interesting. That's, that's what the term means. It means sent. It means sent. And I think it's really important because it's part of the story. I've got friends who are same-sex attracted. I bet you do as well, lots of you. Maybe some of you have friends who are are trans or who are experiencing gender dysphoria and don't quite know where they land, yet they're trying to work things out. I've got friends who are are promiscuous, who will sleep with anybody and justify it to themselves. Maybe you do as well. Maybe some of you are. We grew up now in a world where where your schools, where your universities, where our streets are multicultural. Where it's really common to bump into somebody who's a Muslim or somebody who's Hindu or somebody who's Buddhist. All in Belfast without having to, to leave the city. That probably wasn't the case 30, 40 years ago. Here's my question. All of those people think different things, believe different things. Who's right? Can they all be right? Or are some wrong and some right? It's easy to get confused, isn't it? Even the question hanging in the air. In a church where most people have a Reformed Christian faith, where most people are Presbyterian Um, maybe even most people are Protestant, maybe not, but maybe most people are Protestant. And even here in this space, the question hanging out there, who's right and who's wrong, makes some of you uncomfortable. And that's in here, when we step out there, who's right and who's wrong? Which version of truth is right? You see, Jesus said something really, really interesting. Interesting. Said lots of really interesting things, but but he said something really interesting. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the truth, Jesus says. What he's saying is that truth is not so much about a set of of propositions, a set of statements to be ticked and believed. But truth is fundamentally, first and foremost, a person in Jesus Christ who is to be believed in and who is to be followed his life. You are to apprentice yourself to him. He is truth. And the way we experience truth is not simply to believe a set of things, that is part of it, but it is to follow the person of Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, to believe the things that he believed, to ask him to shape our minds so the mind of Christ might form within us. Truth is a person to be followed and that person is Jesus Christ. When we come to this table, remember we said Jesus is present at this table by his spirit. When we come to this table, we encounter truth. We encounter Jesus. When we come to this table, we have communion with with that person, Jesus. When we come to this table, our lives are shaped by him, so that when we step out into the world, we are following him from this table into the world. We are walking with him. We are walking in truth. That's why the Apostle Paul says, every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because when we come to this table, when we share this meal, we are being shaped by the person who is truth. So when we step into the world, we can live in that way. And over the course of a week or over the course of a month, as we we make mistakes, as we compromise, as we get things wrong, as we, we shirk back from saying hard things or having difficult conversations, And we go along with the flow because we don't want to stick out. We don't want to offend. We don't want to upset. And we get to the end of the day and we think, oh, I got that wrong. We come back to Jesus who loves you and who forgives you and says, there's more grace in me than there is mistakes in you. And he says, let's have another go at it. Let's walk in the truth. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Some call it the breaking of bread. Some call it the Eucharist. Some call it the Mass. At this table, I invite you to come, but it's not my table. It's Jesus' table. He's the host. I invite you to come and meet with him. At this table, I invite you to come and take a little piece of bread in your hand and break it in half before you eat it. Remember, this is what he did for me. His body was broken for me. You take a little cup of juice, bring it back to your seat, and as you drink it, think, he shed his blood for me. That's how much he loves me. And as you take the bread, as you share the juice, just pray, God, reveal yourself to me and pay attention to his presence because his presence is here in this place.